Hello everyone, and welcome to Food Navigator Asia's monthly podcast, the FNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. This is a series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage firms in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearly, the editor of Food Navigator Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Daniel Kite, founder of Funday, an Australia-based better-for-you candies firm, or as he calls it, a guilt-free confectionery firm, which has created several natural, no-sugar-added sweets in their range. We'll talk more about those shortly, but first of all, hello, Daniel. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Pelly. Thanks so much for having me. It's really great to have you here today. And I think the first thing I'd like to start off with is to get more background from you on Funday and your Better For You or Guilt-Free Candies for the benefit of those who may not be all that familiar with this concept. I started developing Funday Natural Sweets about three years ago in my kitchen um, after I used to eat a lot of sugar-free confectionery or lollies. Um, but they're filled with a lot of sugar alcohols, which cause a lot of you know gastro um, discomfort like laxative effects and um, gas and bloating. And um, I ended up formulating a uh, range of um, lollies that we took out the sugar alcohols and filled them with plant-based fibres like chicory root fibre, tapioca starch. And we were able to reduce the sugar um, in the uh, gummy confectionery by up to 91% and create a prebiotic uh, candy. And they tasted as good, if not better, than regular candy and launching it into the Australian market about two years ago. Last time that we spoke, you mentioned that, you know, Funday, you know, is well beyond just being situated in places like health food stores or pharmacies, where, you know, would be the first place people think of when mentioning sort of functional or guilt-free or better-for-you candies like these. So you're also in major supermarket change like Woolworths. So how has this development helped your firm to grow? Yeah, so um, we're really fortunate that our launch uh, just under two years ago was through um, the national pharmacy chain Chemist Warehouse in about 450 stores. And um, um, we're really lucky in about six weeks we'd sold out of all of our stock. And uh, I think that was really the moment where we realised we really had a viable business and a product market fit and people really enjoying the the um, lollies. And a few months later, we uh, went to Woolworths and, you know, they were really interested. And and I think since that point, uh, the business has sort of continued to just grow really naturally. It's enabled the marketing to continue and educate people about our sorts of confectionery. It's enabled myself to hire uh, a team around me to help continue to grow the business. Yes, I'm also wondering, you know, why do you think consumers today here in the region, you know, are so interested in these sorts of natural, sweet alternatives, guilt-free, as you mentioned? And do you believe that, you know, this whole thing is something more than a trend that is here to last? Yeah, I think um, growing up in the late 80s and 90s, um, you know, confectionery was always viewed as a negative and uh, you always had to ration it and it was always a negative, guilty pleasure. And uh, I remember growing up and having to, you know, eat chocolates and lollies and take the wrappers and hide it behind couches in my bed and eat it and throw it in the bin really quickly (laughs) just to hide it and make sure no one saw it. And I think a lot of people still do that to this day. Mm. And um, I think the perception around confectionery is sort of outdated. Mm. And the problem with it is that there are actually ingredients in the market now 
where if you innovate in this particular um, segment, it doesn't have to be like that. And a lot of the big multinationals that ultimately control a lot of the manufacturing of these sorts of products haven't been able to keep up with the time. Mm -hmm. and, and why I think it's not a trend is because everyone likes something, well, most people like something sweet, whether it's chocolate or whether it's a, a sweet. And, you know, we were able to take out all the refined sugars. We were able to take out all those, you know, nasty artificial sugar alcohols and mm -hmm. sugar-free confectionery and put in chicory root fibre and tapioca starch, create a gut-friendly prebiotic lolly, make it a, something functional and make it taste as good, if not better, than um, a Haribo or a, a lolly that you grew up with um, as a kid. And you didn't need to feel that someone was judging you. You didn't need to throw it out really quickly. You didn't need to hide the packet. So people are really proud about it. Um, people are proud to support us. Um, people are proud to show it to their friends and family and advocate for us. And so I don't think it's a trend and I think it will stay there as a category for forever. And I think it will continue to innovate and probably just get better as the new ingredients come to light and as new ingredients come into the category. What are your thoughts on the potential for growth in this entire space um, over here in the APEC region, based on what you just told me? Yeah, well, I mean, even if you look at just the Australian confectionery market, it's, you know, a one to one and a half billion dollar market. Um, I'm not quite sure the dollar value of the, you know, total Asian confectionery market, but it'd be multiple times the size of that market. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you also can look at the functional um, food and potentially the VMS or VDS market too, where it sort of yep. is quasi into mm -hmm. that market as well, um, which is multiple billions of dollars. So um, the potential is really significant. Um, and the reason I mentioned the vitamin and dietary supplement market is because there is a bit of a crossover between, um, you know, the fact that we do have prebiotics in our um, in our confectionery through the use of plant-based fibres. And we have seven grams of prebiotic fibre in each 50-gram mm -hmm. packet. And there is a huge demand and trend for functional food in, in confectionery as well. And so while this sits in uh, confectionery and healthy snacking in a lot of supermarkets and chains in you know, for Fun Day, um, there is certainly um, a potential to include other functional products into the confectionery where it would sit as a fusion between food but also the vitamin and dietary supplement mm. categories as well so it actually does fit into uh, technically into both um, markets and that therefore the scope would actually be in the probably in the tens of billions of dollars i would have thought when you combine both food and vitamin and dietary supplements across the apac region um, when you compare it to you know a vitamin c product you might mm. have one a day when you compare it to our product, you have a packet a day. So it's a it's a different proposition. And any of those sort of like vitamin-based sort of gummies would be really interesting because we see some of those in markets and but yep. obviously they are our pharmacies, I mean, and obviously yep. they are, they do have sugar. So this would be a really yep. interesting thing. So yep. I guess also, you know, following on from that, you know, how is Fun Day working to continue standing out in the market? You know, what are your plans for the firm moving on from here? Yeah, well, I think our, our plans are um, I think most of our customers really enjoy the fact that we offer the guilt-free indulgence mm -hmm. and the guilt-free confectionery products. And so we will continue to keep doing that. Um, and if they um, ask us for um, our products with functional uh, products, which include vitamins, we will do that 
um, and we have the um, capabilities to do that as well. As a business that's under two years old, um, we have you know many years ahead of us to continue yep. to develop our, our product pipeline um, and growth plans throughout you know the OPAC region. Um, but it's very interesting what's going on. I spent many years before this in the, the vitamin and dietary supplement mm. landscape, working with major pharmacies, understanding, um, you know, most of the usual uh, vitamin and, and supplement products in multiple formats. And um, there's, there's not a huge amount of innovation happening mm. within the space. And um, there's a lot of regulatory hurdles as well yep. with, within that landscape too. And I think that's something really exciting about Funday that it actually offers something incredibly unique to the extent that it's the only product in the Southern Hemisphere doing what mm. it's doing. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think there's many vitamin and dietary supplement products that could say that they're doing something like that. You just did mention your experience with, you know, vitamins, dietary supplements, yep. nutraceuticals and so on. So that brings me very nicely into my next point I wanted to discuss with you. You know, we've talked a lot about Funday, about the industry, but I'd like to find out more about your own own entrepreneurial journey so far. So with that yeah. background, you know, in dietary supplements, um, vitamins, nutraceuticals, how did you make, you know, the move from there into this, which is, I, I know you mentioned it's a crossover, but it is essentially yeah. the food industry, the, the yeah. confectionery industry. How did you find yourself here as this food entrepreneur? The challenge for, for me, though, has always been trying to challenge myself to come up with an idea to get into business and, you know, what is that million dollar idea or what is that idea that's going to solve a problem? Um, and the problem is that you can't force an idea and it's always been trying to wait for the for that, you know, really solid business idea or that solid thing to come around that you can actually sink your teeth into and give it a go. And um, I think it took a, it. It really took me a long time to to figure that out. I went to university. I did like commerce and law degree, and I ended up working in the tech business. And then for mm. seven or eight years, working in vitamins and supplements, mm. in sales and marketing, and general management, working with major pharmacies, and really just getting an idea of how the whole industry worked. As important it is to know what's good, it's also important to know what you don't want to do. And a lot about working in the vitamin and dietary supplement industry also made me realise that I wasn't very keen on running my own business within that industry. Mm. Um, but I also loved the health aspect of that industry as well. I liked making people healthier. So I actually thought the food side of health, um, healthcare was the right place for me to be. Then sort of researching and saying, well, there really isn't a solution for the confectionery aisle and walking up and down the supermarket a thousand times and saying, what's going on? Looking at reviews, no, no one is solving this problem. Mm -hmm. And then you start a whole research phase saying, well, yep. what could we possibly do to fix this problem? And then bringing experts in to come and say, well, how can we solve this problem together? And then sort of it starts a whole, a whole mm. phase. But I think without all the background into the industry before, um, without knowing that I didn't want to do certain things, uh, without having contacts in the industry, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Moving out of that industry into the food industry, what has been the biggest challenge that you have encountered, you know, the biggest difference between this and your previous career path, essentially? You know, I've always worked for someone. Um, 
and then all of a sudden you've got to run your own business. So I think mm. running your own business is always is always um, people tell you is very challenging, but it really mm-hmm. is the most challenging thing you can do. Um, you know, you've got to think about it 24 hours a day, even yeah. in your sleep. You can dream. <laughs> you know, you, you really do dream about it. It's quite crazy, especially during growth periods where you've got to bring in a lot of a lot of stock. Um, you know, onboarding mm. teams, all incredibly exciting stuff, but it certainly is challenging. Um, and I think for us, you know, we launched in March 2021. That was the really ultimately around the peak of COVID mm-hmm. um, or just really the beginning of it all sort of. That was a really tough time for yep. us, for us, particularly in Melbourne with the longest lockdowns in the world mm-hmm. and um, not much face to face, all being done online at home, managing a startup business with people in all different places, overseas, domestic, yeah, ships on the water, mm. new businesses, launches yep. in retail. For someone that's never done it before, that's really, really challenging. Mm. And, you know, I sort of had to keep reminding myself that um, no one had actually done it before. So mm-hmm. whether you're in a, a brand new business or you're in a 100-year-old business, this would actually be new for every single True. person. And all I needed to do was see myself through to the end of this mm-hmm. lockdown period and I, we would be okay. You know, just having a positive mindset throughout the whole experience, even when it could have been really bad, was the only way we sort of dealt with it. But it was an incredibly stressful and challenging period of time, probably mm-hmm. for 18 months, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And I think my wife had a baby about we had four months later. So that, that you know, not much sleep and a new a new business. Where I had two babies at the same time. That oh my work, gosh. work and a real baby. Yeah. On that note, is there anything that you wish you had known when you had started out on this journey, making this huge uh, change? Anything you might have changed? Uh, I think ignorance is bliss to an extent. I think. <laughs> I think it's nice to go into it with a you know a, a bit of an open mind and a, a bit of. Um, you know, willful ignorance is actually quite positive because um, I think if you knew everything, you wouldn't do it. Mm. So it's it's actually lovely to go into it with um, a bit of optimism and willful ignorance and really open eyes and say you're going to kill it and smash it. And um, generally, if you have great passion for it, you'll you'll just end up doing well. So I think I wouldn't change anything. And um, even if I knew everything I knew now, I'd still do it all the same. Based on your, you know, the good job you have done with Fundy, any advice for those who are looking to go into food entrepreneurship like you have? Um, I think it's a fantastic space. Like, I think it's incredibly exciting. Every day is very different. You get to make a meaningful change to people's lives on a practical day-to-day level, uh, how they're feeling, um, what they're eating, which relates very much down to their mood. It's it's really a meaningful um, profession. Um, I think if you're going to do it, do it properly and give it 100%. Mm. And um, think very carefully about the product that you're going to put into the market. Test it carefully and uh, make sure what you're doing is um, really special and meaningful and actually solves a need in the market. And um, then once you decide, give it 110%. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me today, Daniel. It was so great to have you in this podcast today. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. Thank you so much. And thank you also everyone for listening to this podcast as well. And I wish everyone a great day ahead. For Food Navigator Asia, this is Pearlie signing off.